From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Taking no prisoners, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, breaking news. A war zone in Europe like a war zone. Farmers are surrounding the EU headquarters building. Farmers across Europe, including even Sweden, are now joining in. Romania, Poland, Germany, France, uh, of course, the Netherlands. It's spreading. Swedish farmers join the wide protest. This is an article by Peter Sweden. Uh, farmers all over Europe have been taking part of the historic protest against the climate agenda. Something big, something historic has been taking place all over Europe these past few months. Farmers in 20, repeat, farmers in 20 European countries have taken to the streets to protest against unfair policies driven in large by the climate net zero agenda. If you have only been reading the mainstream media, you might not have realized these pro what, how big these protests actually are. Uh, and this is, of course, Peter Sweden has a full article on that. I'm going to just go ahead and start showing you a couple clips here, and we're going to break this down. This is clip two. The European quarter in Brussels looks like a war zone. That's clip. Now let's go to clip three. Uh, farmers in Brussels continue the protests against the EU. The farmers have had it. They're not going to take it anymore. Let's roll one more clip four. This is the farmer protest in the EU. This is an article now coming in uh, live from, I believe this is Breitbart by Paul Saran. European farmers revolt, tractors break through barriers in Brussels, agricultural workers surround the EU headquarters. I've been there in Brussels. I, I presented Climate Hustle 2. Yeah, Climate Hustle, no, Climate Hustle 1 uh, at, at the headquarters in Brussels, actually in one of the meeting rooms uh, to members of parliament. I was sponsored uh, by uh, a member of parliament and met with many EU delegations. Uh, there's a lot of good EU members of parliament. Unfortunately, they're outnumbered by a lot of bad ones. Uh, but this is at the Brussels EU headquarters. They surround it. They're spraying liquid manure at police. And it's a major show of force for the farmers. With each passing day, the great European farmers revolt gets bigger, louder, and more foul smelling referencing the manure. This is an article by Paul Syrian. Hundreds of tractors and thousands of farmers have completely surrounded the meeting of EU agricultural ministers. Bloomberg News is reporting 
It's the second major protest in Brussels in recent week as farmers complain about bureaucratic hurdles, trade deals, climate-related rules. How about that? That's way some more climate-related rules for you. And efforts to help Ukraine sell its grain. So it's all tied in with the Ukraine effort as well. Security was tight at the EU offices and police clad in riot gear. Tractors rushed police barricades in several places. The tractors carried various slogans, including, I feed you, but I die. That's a good slogan. Europe wants us to die, which is true. They actually do, the bureaucratic lead. In fact, Bill, Bill Gates is very explicit. He wants to end animal agriculture out on the farm and move it to the scientific laboratory. Men in white coats with Petri dishes and um, steel vats are going to pull stem cells and fester meat. They will no longer be raising cattle or raising sheep or pigs. It's going to be festering meat in a steel vat to be printed on a 3D printer. So they, they've got this right. Our death is your hunger. That's another phrase of these anti-net zero climate protesting uh, farmers. Some tractors also blocked a key intersect providing key access to the main Brussels airport. The Associated Press is on this. Farmers clash with police in Belgium as well, spraying officers with liquid manure, throwing eggs and flares at them and a fresh show of force as the European Union's agricultural ministers met in search of ways to address the protesters' concerns. Now, remember, I reported about, I guess, early last week, maybe 10 days ago, that the EU is starting to blink. They're already backing off on some of the net zero, but I think the farmers are like, that's not enough. We want this turd of, of bollocks gone. And that's what they're putting for. On the other side of the barriers in Brussels, the agricultural ministers, this is the EU agricultural ministers, were keen to show that they were listening and a group of farmers representatives were allowed in for the talks. We're listening. I know we've been destroying your livelihood. I know pursuing the great reset uh, net zero agenda, which is collapsing modern agriculture because we don't want you to use nitrogen fertilizer. Hey, we also don't want any methane emissions. We've been farming. We know for thousands of years, but somehow in 2024, we can't farm anymore because the earth can't handle it. And our dictates from the from the young economic, the World Economic Forum's young leadership program taught us that farming is evil. So we're going to end it. We're going to move it to the laboratory. We already in the United States beginning in what, the 1970s with the food label started eating everything out of a box and from a factory, but factories aren't you know, bad enough for your health. They're moving it now to the scientific laboratory where you'll be eating your uh, your bugs and your meat. Oh boy, um, this is, uh, let me, I'm gonna go down to clip, um, I believe this is clip four, they'll tell me, either clip five, whatever the next clip is, just so you can get an idea of the anger and the protest spirit of these uh, farmers. <laughs>
And yes, that's just fresh. This is uh, just less than 48 hours ago as I broadcast this show. That is what's happening in the EU. This is an article from Zero Hedge uh, by Tyler Durden. The manure, smell of manure, melting tires in the malodorous, I love that, the malodorous tear gas pervaded downtown Brussels Monday morning as angry farmers encircled the European Union headquarters. It coincides with, of course, the Europe, the uh, farmers block meeting. According to Bloomberg, farmers are angry at bureaucratic hurdles, the climate deal. Today's protest is the latest in a series of protests of farmers across countries, including France, Italy, Spain. Blue-collar workers are also furious about imploding incomes and elevated inflation. Meanwhile, the EU leaders are scrambling to defuse the ticking time bomb. By the way, that's that's good. That's good reporting. That's from, uh, I think it's actually from Bloomberg, or it might be from uh, Zero Hedge, but it's a ticking time bomb. That's, that's a great phrase and a, a very apropos. A ticking time bomb of social unrest spreading across Europe. They are taking steps to reduce red tape and delay some green rules. Well, we know all these rules are going to screw you and and destroy modern civilization. So we'll just delay them. And you know what the farmers are saying? F you. There's no delays. There's no appeasement. We want them gone. Let's hope they really stick to this. These are today's modern freedom fighters. It can always go more quickly, but we're working faster than usual, David Carnival, Belgium's agricultural minister. So they're they're working quickly to delay the green uh, mandates. Uh, we'll just push them off. That's what's happening in the United States, by the way. Biden's realized the entire EV um, mandates are collapsing and dealerships and car makers and consumers and rental car agents. It couldn't be going more disastrously. So you know what they do? Well, we'll just push off some of the, we won't ban the gas, but we'll push it off another two years. See how, see how progressive we are? See how flexible we are? Bull, that's not, that's not going to help. What a mess Europe has become, says the Zero Hedge article by Tyler Durden. And that's exactly right. What's happening here, and you can go back, this really, really began with this ruling class governing elite that's sort of a cabal that has destroyed us economically, beginning pretty much in the 1970s, I would say. Uh, you know, when I say us, I'm talking about specifically the Western world, the developing or third world has a lot of different issues because they're going through rapid development. It's not, it's not, it's not the same issues, so I'm, I'm not talking about them. I'm specifically talking about Europe, Australia, Canada, um, New Zealand, United States, and any Western nation uh, when I'm talking about this. Essentially, this is the result of decades of bureaucratic red tape, economic stagnation, overspending by governments, inflation, debt, modern monetary uh, economic policy of the printing of money to the point where you have a thriving upper echelon and in some, I don't want to say thriving, but you have a well-funded, very poor. And this is why they love the um, the universal basic income or UBI guaranteed annual income, because it's a way to get the useless eaters pacified. And this is why they love government uh, programs and government handouts and government services and government welfare and government uh, disability check, everything like that, it guarantees those voting blocks are going to be voting for the politicians that will keep these programs lavishly funded, number one. And it guarantees 
that those people aren't going to be among the protests. They're not going to protest the government, the hand that feeds them. They're not going to protest when you know the politicians will promise more and more for them. Uh, you know, they might protest they're not getting enough, but they're not going to protest against the policies. So what's happened now is, and this you can look at this, you know, the cost of food, look at it for the cost of housing. I mean, it's incredible stats if you go back. You know, 1980, the average person in the Western world, the United States, could afford a house and how much they've gone up now. I mean, you could watch old TV shows. Someone just married in their early 20s might be a fireman, married, just married someone who wants to be a stay-at-home mom, and they're talking about buying a house in California and things like that. Those days are long gone. And they're long gone because a series of economic, bureaucratic, ruling class elite that's essentially leading us to a neo-feudalism. And that's where we're headed today. There's gonna to be essentially the upper ruling class, very wealthy, a very depressed and constantly crushed middle class, uh, and then a, a thriving government handout class. I don't I hate to call it that. I guess a, a thriving sector of the economy that is dependent almost solely on government for their livelihoods. And this is what the World Economic Forum loves this is what people loved about the covid lockdowns uh the the basically you know under a republican president donald trump you know when uh we had to, for the first time basically a ubi universal basic income with these covid relief bills that passed congress big bloated spending bills in 1972 when george i detail this in my book the great reset when george mcgovern uh was running against edward muskie uh, they were talking about the universal basic income, and it was too radical even for the Democratic Party base to accept. And you just fast forward 50 years, and you know most people are accepting it, and we're having framework of it essentially put in under a conservative Republican president like Donald Trump. This is all very important because as they crush the middle class, that's where a lot of the numbers are. Once you get can squeeze out the middle class, and you're going to have a compliant. I don't want to say lower class. I don't know why I'm having trouble with describing this in a way that I'm not trying to offend or be arrogant, um, but lower income people who are going to be dependent on government for services. And by the way, the whole green agenda is about making us more and more dependent on government, regardless, even the remnants of the middle class they're trying to crush. And this includes the EVs mandates, right? They're, they're banning gas powered cars. They want a national charging grid. National charging grid means you're completely relying on the federal government, like DMV, Department of Motor Vehicle Style Service, to put these in. And we've already seen all the corruption, the, the billions that went to it. And I think you only had one EV charging station put in by Biden so far of, the, of this big national grid. I mean, it's just, it's a comedy of errors and a disaster, but it's not something you wouldn't expect because government is essentially incompetent. You can't run a society with a bloated bureaucracy of uh, alleged experts who know best and mid-level managers all clamoring and bureaucratic rules and permission-based society. It's a nightmare. Anyway, let's play the next clip. This is the last clip. This is just shows you the anger and the firestorm that these farmers are doing. <laughs> and you see, I mean, this is, you know, uh, yeah, I'm surprised Justin Trudeau, if he were this, they were doing this in Canada, he would have them declared domestic terrorists, and they would be quite literally uh, have their money access to their own bank account shut off. They would be, uh, their insurance would be canceled, their land would be seized. 
Uh, so in one regard, the EU is looking better, less tyrannical at this point than Justin Trudeau. But just to give you the quick recap, specifically on this, there's been a war being waged from Al Gore, the United Nations. And when I was back working in the US, uh, United States Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, 2006, the UN Agricultural Com Report came out. Cow emissions more damaging to the planet than all the transportation sector combined. Planes, trains, and automobiles combined. Cows are doing more harm to the planet through their belching, burping, and farting, their gaseous emissions. And this was, and it's not just cows, obviously, it's pigs and sheep and every other livestock animal. Uh, this is what they want to go after for the meat eating aspect. The other side is the nitrogen based fertilizer, which gives you high yield agriculture. And again, we saw this happen in Sri Lanka where they collapsed. We saw the same thing farmers protests in the Netherlands. There was another precursor. They formed their own political party and they're fighting this with political power backed by the people in the Netherlands. I just want to emphasize here, as I'm saying this on February 27, 2024, and the year of our Lord, this is one of the most important uh, battles that we're facing today. We need to, everyone needs to support, go out if you can, wish these farmers well, voice support for them, uh, give them financial aid, and pressure politicians to back off this net zero agricultural agenda, as well as the transportation agenda, the energy agenda, the censorship agenda, and the, the Great Reset agenda. But specifically, this is the flashpoint. Can't always choose what's your flashpoint. This is actually greatly chosen by the farmers, and it's the most appropriate at the most appropriate time. They are literally looking at collapsing high-yield agriculture. Why? Bill Gates is number one single largest farmland owner in America, very closely followed by people like Jeff Bezos, another billionaire. Why is he buying up U.S. farmland? Very closely followed by China. Why is China buying up U.S. farmland? Why is China own the largest pork conglomerate for control of the pork meat industry in America? And Bill Gates, as America's number one farmland owner, as NBC wisely put it, he's not the one in overalls out there. Oh, really? He's and and the, the some of these farmers own the land. They lose it due to the climate compliance costs, as Bloomberg News and as you're reading here, the climate regulations. And they get to stay on their own land. Hey, they didn't get evicted, but they no longer own the land. They're working for billionaires. They're tilling the soil for Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or some Chinese or some equity asset or large corporation. There was a name for that. And I need one of those little wavy things there to come over my face, but it's it's called medieval feudalism. And there's actually a great book. I'd love to get Joel Cotton on my show, uh, Kotkin, who wrote a book about the coming neo-feudalism. And he's a you know, historian, actor. He's really spot on. And he does an incredible study. And I'd like to present some of the what happened in the Middle Ages with the, with the feudalism, with the lords of the manor and, the, and, the, and the, the workers who didn't own anything and you just work the land, we're fast becoming that way. And the modern equivalent, it's not even that, like it's not even like you have to interpret it. This isn't Nostradamus's writings where you try to make them fit. They actually say you'll own nothing and be happy. I mean, that's like screaming feudalism. So these farmers are losing their livelihood. Why did they go after the Netherlands, the number one producer of meat in all of Europe? Well, very simple. You collapse the meat, make it ration the meat, make it scarce, 
skyrocket the price, which we already have had because of COVID and supply chain and the lockdowns and all the insane um, economic chaos that the reaction to COVID caused. I'm not going to be one of those people who say, well, COVID caused this. No, the in, I'm sorry, I'm mouthing curse words. The insane, uh, unnecessary, tyrannical, um, never should have happened COVID lockdowns caused this. So they're making meat scarce. That softens us all up to eat bugs, to eat Bill Gates lab-grown meat, to eat the disgusting vegetable oil processed fake meat, which even CNN nutritionists said, there's really no reason to eat this. There's like 24 processed ingredients. It's heavy and unhealthy oils. It's loaded in fat. Uh, and they're just like, why are we doing this? Like there's a lot of other options. You could eat lean meat. Well, we're doing it because the earth is smiling. Yay, the earth is smiling. And on that point, uh, let me find this article because this is an incredible article. The EU uh, is not far behind. This is, I have an article here. This food, the earth is smiling. Tyson Foods in the United States, this is known as Tyson's Chicken, the producer of meat for decades and decades, announces a partnership with an insect ingredient company to open an, a bug facility that'll support the growth of the emerging insect ingredient industry. First of all, and I need to say this, what the F are they talking about? There's no emerging insect. The only emerging is happening here is you have government mandates crushing us and they're literally trying to force the bugs on us. There's no, like, oh, this is emerging industry. It's emerging because of government subsidies, mandates, net zero agenda. That's why you need to be out there supporting these farmers. It's nuts. So let's get nostalgic here. We got to take a break, but uh, let me just uh, clip. This is clip one, Tucker Carlson advocating for a return to a better America. And I would argue a better <laughs> earth, at least for the Western world. Again, Always want to make that distinction. The developing world is coming along. They're much better. No one, no one wants to go back in time for Africa, South America, parts of Asia, uh, China, even for them, because you know poverty, misery, lack of development are horrible. This is all relating to the Western world. Tucker Carlson specifically talking about the U.S. He wants to return to America in 1993. Let's take a look, Tucker Carlson. I'm advocating to return to America, of, say, 1993. How radical is that? Really radical? No, I don't think it's very radical. In fact, I think we should be demanding it. And if there's one thing that I will fault Americans for, it's low expectations. You should not put up with this. You should not allow them. The governor of Texas should Tribune, not allow the multimedia millions of people to cross his border. And I don't want to hear you know, the excuses. And I don't want to hear the excuses for why it's okay to have tens of thousands of people dying on the street or sleeping on the sidewalk in tents Tribune, handed to them the by the Episcopal Church forever. Like, that's not acceptable. It's not okay for my kids to use drugs at the breakfast table. I'm not going to have a debate about it. No is the answer. I'm within my rights as a father Caribbean, to say that. The, the U.S. government is within its statutory rights as a government to say that. We don't need more laws. We have the laws. The, they're not being enforced on purpose. And, and to your point, why? He's exactly right. And it's not radical to say you want to go back to 1993 uh, because it was at least in America where we had a fighting chance. And by the way, and I detail in the book, that's actually when a lot of this international, this is when the first Bush, George H.W. Bush started talking about the new world order. Where, and that was where you become a global citizen. And of course, the fall of the Soviet Union concentrated 
a lot of these radicals uh, and Marxists from support of the Soviet Union into the environmental movement and specifically the climate activism. So Tucker is spot on in that clip. All right, we got to take a break. We're a little bit over here. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Michael Austin, Project 21 member and free market economist. And we're going to go through a whole gamut of issues, uh, specifically Biden's economic policies and their effect on minorities uh, and a whole bunch of other topics. Stay tuned. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. We'll be right back. TNT's Timothy Shea. We need a calling in our public sphere. And I'm not calling for, you know, assassinations. I'm not calling for, no, no. What I'm saying is these people need to be exorcised from the public square. We need to stop giving them platforms. We need to stop amplifying their voices. I'm not saying censor them. I'm saying we need to stop listening to them. We need to stop voting for them. Claire McCaskill, newspapers need to stop fact-checking Joe Biden until they fact-check Donald Trump every day on the front page. Earth to Claire, where have you been in the last eight years? The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. Sometimes life can be overwhelming and suicide may seem like the only way to relieve the pain. Beyond Now is an evidence-based app created by Beyond Blue to help you cope when suicidal thoughts start to appear. You can use it to create an easy-to-follow plan that is personal to you and includes steps like know your warning signs so you can act early, make your environment safe by removing harmful items, activities you can do or people you can be with to distract yourself from suicidal thoughts, reminders of things that make you feel strong, some of these steps might be tough to fill out, and that's okay. It can be helpful to make or share your safety plan with a trusted friend, family member, or mental health professional. You might feel like you're alone, but help is available. If you're worried you can't stay safe, use the red telephone icon to call your emergency contacts. Download the free Beyond Now app today to create your personal safety plan. Today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. Welcome back to Unleashed on TNT with Mark Morano. All right, we're joined now by Michael Austin, Project 21 member, the National Center for Public Policy Research. He's a free market economist and the president of Knowledge and Decision Decisions Economic Consulting. Uh, welcome to the program, Michael. Good to be here, Mark. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about Biden first of all, and specifically economic. Is America better off than we were four years ago? Because it's kind of an unfair question because we were coming out of the COVID lockdowns. And the next sub question is, is African-Americans better off than they were? How are they doing under Joe Biden's presidency? Well, so I think maybe a few months ago, Biden and his press secretary, you know, toward the nation as they're probably doing now. And they're talking about how Bidenomics has created an economy that works for everyone. Well, I honestly think that only works to the extent a Band-Aid might, you know, work for a gunshot wound. I mean, the reality is, is that nearly every economic indicator shows that Americans are worse off than where they were four years ago. And nowhere is that more true than with African-Americans. Uh, you know, I know when Donald Trump was president, there was like the lowest Hispanic and black unemployment uh, I think ever measured since like 1967 or 68 or something like that. Is that is that around the same stat or how is that doing? And how and what has his policy specifically done to harm African-Americans? 
Uh, no, that is no longer the case. You know, under under Bidenomics now, we have created an economy that pays you for not working. We have created an economy that pushes, uh, you know, these green new deals and uh, electric vehicles and green this and green that without really getting your permission. And we have spent, you know, bundles of bundles of cash into the economy. And that has led to not only rising unemployment, a direct contrast to the stat that you just mentioned about black unemployment about four years ago, but it's also led to record inflation. So, you know, these victories that the Biden administration wants to claim, it's just not resonating with African Americans. Um, I think there was a poll out there that said about 35% are disapproving of this economic management. Uh, home ownership, right, between whites and black Americans is now diverged about 30 points. And then uh, to end on unemployment, you know, black unemployment has risen by 23% since April 2023, contrasting with a steady white unemployment rate. So, you know, he can talk, you know, all sorts of numbers and pleasantries and poetry as much as he likes. But the reality is African Americans and most Americans don't feel like they're better off. What do you attribute the big rise in, you said it was diverging by 30 points. Why since 2023 is uh, African-American unemployment rising so high, you think? Well, it's simply because government has gotten way too big. You know, um, when Biden came into office, he's instituted many uh, policies that have just made it much easier to not work, um, where he has loosened uh, federal unemployment money uh, so people can continue to receive those checks without barely uh, looking for work, or whether you think about the amount of money that government has spent into the economy, which is naturally pushing prices higher. Um, and then probably the biggest thing when it comes to home ownership is what he's directed the Federal Reserve to do. The Federal Reserve has simultaneously Simultaneously, you know, uh, inflated the economy, and now it's trying to deflate the economy because it did way too much. And so, naturally, when we've had low interest rates for so long, thanks to the Biden administration and even going all the way back to uh, Obama, um, with interest rates now high, uh, that has pushed mortgage rates up and made it really harder for people to leave apartments or leave the cities and go to suburbia or go to a home. And so, that would naturally affect those lower income, which tend to be African Americans. But that just goes to show that when you have big government, all you're going to create are big consequences. Well, no, it seems as though the Democratic Party historically has African-Americans have, you know, 90 percent plus have voted for the Democratic Party just generally. And I think the Democratic Party has always prided itself on expanding, you know, the great society, welfare programs, government spending, you know, and they'll brag about, well, we're directing this toward, you know, African-Americans. Is that really what African-Americans want is more government aid, welfare, funding, uh, special projects, or do they want more economic, the chance for economic growth and opportunity? And why do Democrats, it seems like their first instinct is to spend more government money uh, and claim that they're helping African-Americans? Well, you know, I'll say this. Of course, I can't speak for all African-Americans. I can only speak to just me, myself, being an American. But what I can say is that it really doesn't matter whether you're white, black, brown, yellow, what have you. Yeah. You know, most Americans just want it to be easier to live. Um, yeah. So when they go to the grocery store, you know, they want to make sure that they have enough money to pay for the groceries, to pay for produce, to pay for, you know, uh, bread and things of that sort. When they go to the gas pump, they want to feel confident that they have enough money to fill up a tank so that they can go to work the next day. Um, 
they just want life to be easier. And when it comes to, you know, the progressives, what they really want is to control. Um, but what they don't want to realize, of course, is that by instituting that control, they create so many unintended negative consequences that it makes life harder. And so there's a massive disconnect, right? You have many American communities that just want, you know, they just want to get by. They just want to, you know, take their kids to school. They just want to go to the movies. They just want to live their life. Um, and then you have the progressives who want to use government to control everybody. And it's creating all these disastrous effects. And I think what we're seeing in the African-American community is that you know, they're willing to consider, you know, people pushing conservative policies if it means that it gets government out of their hair. Yeah. Now, what do you make of these recent, uh, you know, polling and the mainstream media is lamenting over the fact that Donald Trump is getting the highest percentage of African-American votes of any Republican nominee pretty much in history, I want to say. Uh, what is the appeal there? And is this is it is it a reflection of Donald Trump's policies or more a rejection of Joe Biden? I mean, even uh, un unexpectedly, like famous rappers and other celebrities are supporting Donald Trump. Um, is that just a, a personality of Trump, you think, or is it a policy basis? Uh, why not both? I mean, yeah. um, I, 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 I think you can definitely point to the policies, you know, just creating, making life more affordable for your family, making life more affordable if you're running a business. That obviously has a play. And then I think, you know, culturally, you have to look at what the progressives are saying, what you know, what these liberals are saying, and what the other side is saying. You know, you have the pushing of the welfare state by, by Democrats and progressives, and you also have this woke culture, you know, in society today that kind of demonizes men. Um, and it doesn't really care whether you're white, brown or whatever. If you're a man, you know, this woke culture kind of pushes against that. And so I think that's one reason why even African-American men um, continue to move more and more uh, to voting Republican. Um, one, because they notice the policies are, are, are actually better for them, better for their families, better for their neighborhood. But also it's a repudiation of what they're seeing from the woke left, which seems to hate men just because of what's between their legs. Yeah. Uh, and well, until you mentioned woke and you mentioned men between their legs, is is the African-American community, is the Asian-American community, are, you know, are these other communities, are they are they involved at all or supportive of this woke agenda, things like transgenderism? Or is that sort of more the subject of, you know, uh, I, I just. I don't I hate to be this race conscious, but white, wealthy, you know, you know, wealthy kids who go to elite universities. Where is that coming from? And how do minority groups in America react to sort of the woke agenda, i.e. specifically, well, critical race theory and the transgender agenda? Well, I, I think, you know, you can find different Americans having different opinions on this, but kind of just what I've already highlighted, right, where you see this woke culture kind of shunning men, right, uh, uh, putting, you know, feminist feminism more and more on this pedestal to the detriment of men. And men feel like, you know, they're being pushed out of a conversation, um, which is which makes no sense. At the same time, you know, DEI and, and, and these woke policies are pushing a type of affirmative action and it's creating type of discrimination. You know, it used to be that if you wanted to get into Harvard, you know, you needed to have good grades, you need to be well-rounded, you need to have all these other activities, uh, extracurricular activities, you need to be one of the best students in the country. Now, you just need to not be Asian. Uh, in order to get into Harvard. And so it's 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 a type of policy that has created such a negative stereotype on all different sorts of Americans 
when before it used to be based off of merit. And I think there are a number of Americans that are just naturally, you know, bristling at that fact um, and wanting to turn away from that type of policy because it's not fair to everyone and it doesn't give people a chance to succeed if they really want to. Well, how do we get out of this at this point? I mean, we are untold debt, uh, you know, for US history, untold spending, printing of money, modern monetary theory, uh, you have uh, the the most incredibly regulatory state, a permission-based society. It's just getting worse. The intentional restrictions on agriculture. We see the farmers protesting, blue-collar workers throughout Europe against the the net zero agenda, uh, and of course they're destroying freedom of movement. They're they're raising the cost of transportation, automobiles. You know they're banning gas-powered cars, and most people can't afford an electric car. It's it's insane and it's not practical. And then, of course, you have what they're doing uh, in just energy alone. Uh, I remember years ago, Niger Innes uh, and, and African-American ministers were protesting Robert Redford for raising the cost of energy. It seems like everything is wrong for the middle class and the working class and blue collar Americans. How do we get out of this mess? And were we out of this mess? I mean, pre-COVID, it seemed like evaluate Donald Trump's three years before COVID. How, how did that go? It seemed like that would be like the the halcyon days of economic policy, at least, of course, he was an overspender as well, but in deficits, but continue. I'm sorry. It's a long question, but take it what you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm no, sermonizing you're fine. for some reason. <laughs> you know, I, I, I do think that there is a solution out there, and that solution is elimination without replacement. Um, you know, the great economist, uh, Thomas Sowell, you know, he likened bad policy to a house fire. Um, when you put out a house fire, the next step is not to figure out what you're going to replace the fire with. You've already done the work. You've already done the good job. You, you stopped the bad things from happening. And so that same thing goes with public policy. Um, killing bad policies is just as good as creating a whole new one. And the fundamental truth is that, you know, Bidenomics I think should be discarded to history's trash heap. It is clear that it is, you know, only focused on, you know, uh, serving out particular special interests or serving whatever particular pet projects Joe Biden has, but it doesn't really do anything to most Americans. And in fact, it, it's it's like taking a sledgehammer to crack a nut. It creates so many unintended consequences like high inflation, uh, a decrease in home ownership, uh, uh, high prices at the, at the grocery store or at the pump. Um, what you really need to do is that if government gets you into this mess, the only way out is for government to back away. It just seems like that's becoming harder and harder to even envision, especially post-COVID, because you know the, the the economic chaos that these lockdowns happen with supply chains, inflation, spending, then of course the Ukraine uh, war, and you know the idea that you would go pay higher gas and say I'm sticking it to Putin as you're pumping in you know four fifty a gallon gas. Who thinks that way? I mean, uh, it, it is. Why do you? Let's talk about that disconnect. There seems such a disconnect between our leaders, academia, the corporate media, and the middle class, working class, blue collar Americans. How did that happen? And is that just basically throughout the ages? I guess there's always been somewhat of a disconnect, but it seems to be really be in focus now. And it almost seems to be much more sinister than it has been, in, in, at least in our lifetimes. Sure. I think it really comes from the fact that government is much larger than it used to be. You know, uh, here in America, you know, we've been around since 1776. Um, 
you know, if you look at the, the history of our country, you know, from, you know, before uh, the Great Depression, we've had recessions before. But I, you know, but only if you're a history major, only if you're a historian, could you ever tell me the name of the recessions that we've had in the 1700s, 1800s, and early 1900s? No one knows what those things are. And the reason why is because those recessions, when they happened, as horrible as they were, they left so quickly. And I'll tell you something else, that when those recessions happened, governments never got involved. They never decided to spend more in order to try to boost the economy or or uh, or increase taxes. If anything, they actually decreased taxes in recession in order to get them out. The only time, right, where we had started counting how bad recessions were was starting in FDR or starting in the 1930s, where FDR implemented the, you know, the New Deal and exacerbated the 1928 stock market crash way beyond what we have ever seen. And ever since then, you know, society has had this idea in its head that it needs to control, control, control in order to get out of recession, when in reality, you know, businesses adapt and they find ways to get out of these things by themselves. So, you know, if today's culture, it's all about corporate media or or, or populists or, or this and that, they're all lobbying the government because government has gotten way too big for the people. Um, and by doing that, instead of focusing, let's say, on making products that really help out customers, the you know corporations are lobbying government for a special deal. Um, and the same thing goes with politics. When government has become so big, so large, so massive, all of our attention is now directed towards it. Um, and instead of working with each other, we're using government to go after those who we disagree with. Wow. All right. Well, we're talking with Michael Austin, free market economist with Project 21 for the National Center for Public Policy Research. We'll be right back after these messages, continuing the discussion on Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The weather across the United States has turned exactly opposite what I thought it would turn. It's become very, very warm. Now, the reason this is happening is because the water around Australia has warmed dramatically and unpredictably warmed dramatically. And this creates a different phase of the Madden-Julian oscillation than what I anticipated happening before the winter. You see, the computer models, and we have to use them to look at sea surface temperatures, weren't predicting anything like this. This sudden warming happened in January, but not be from man-made sources. It had to be something natural going on that we don't know about. In any case, people are blaming climate change. I have no problem with that. The climate is changing. It's been changing. It will always change. But when people start saying you are a denier, all they are doing is using ad hominem attacks to try to equate you with the miserable people that denied what happened in the Holocaust. And that should raise red flags as to what these people are all about. Climate change is real. It is 99.9% .9 natural, and the impact of man has very little to do with it. And there is no denying that. This is TF. NT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, 
medical care, and love. They can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today. If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Taking no prisoners, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. We're continuing our discussion with free market economist Michael Austin of Project 21. I, I want to go back, uh, first of all, the COVID lockdowns uh, that happened in every, pretty much every liberal city in the, in the country and a lot of conservative cities, not that there are any conservative cities that I'm aware of, I guess <laughs> maybe small ones or you know, maybe out in North Dakota or something, but um, there was a huge concentration of wealth. There were more billionaires created than any other time during COVID lockdowns, largest transfer of wealth from the poor middle-class to the billionaire class and the wealthy. A lot of mom and pop restaurants went under and of course, the, the the big corporations, the big retail chains, all huge profits, big tech, Amazon, Walmart, profits through the roof, the small mom and pops crushed. What impact did that have on America, on the middle class, on African-Americans, on blue collar workers? And how do we recover from that legacy? Well, let me first off, you know, start off by saying, you know, when when COVID hit back in 2020, no one really understood, at least at the very onset, you know, what this disease would do to people, what it would do to the economy, you know. So I personally, I, I personally give a little grace period, you know, for the first two weeks, you know, um, where people just didn't know what was going on. Um, but then after that, you know, when it was clear that, you know, uh, COVID was, you know, really hurting um, those who are over the age of 65, those who already had significant comorbidities, um, there really wasn't a need for any of this sort of lockdown policy. And yet they persisted in certain places in the country. You know, and you want to talk about how it it, it transferred wealth from, you know, uh, mom and pop shops to, to big businesses. That definitely happened. Um, but what I particularly noticed is how, you know, that certain decision matrix, uh, the decision making process, you know, what should government do? That should be a conversation between elected leaders and their constituents. Yeah. That didn't happen during COVID, right? We had bureaucrats after bureaucrats after bureaucrats in some little back office making a decision and picking winners over losers, right? Saying that this business is going to, you know, allow to produce other businesses, other industries, we're going to allow them to shut down. And they did it all without the American public's permission. And that was one of the biggest travesties. Yes, you have the economic recession, but you also have the miscarriage of democracy, right? Where uh, these bureaucrats were making these decisions without the input of the people. And then, of course, you have the fact that I said before, it's like taking a sledgehammer to crack a nut, right? Where you realize the amount of force needed to combat COVID was so extreme. Um, you know, in, in my home state of Kansas, I believe businesses were shut down about I thought 30%, 30% of Kansas businesses were shut down during the lockdown. And then you realized that, you know, you, you swung that sledgehammer to crack the nut and you missed the nut. So the only thing that ever happened was all this economic damage and you never even solved the problem in the first place. Abortion clinics being open and churches closed. And they had somehow, they, as you mentioned, unelected bureaucrats made these decisions and it made sense to them somehow, right? And I guess if you were destroying a country and a culture, it would make sense. 
Okay, let me switch over now to George Floyd. In June, if I'm pretty sure, unless it was May, but it's 20, June or May, May or June of 2020, I believe it was June of 2020, you had the unfortunate death of George Floyd, and I'm not going to get into that, but the reaction to that from the liberals, from the, from the Biden supporters, Biden wasn't elected yet, in all these big cities, to honor and fight to honor to honor African Americans and to fight the legacy of racism, you had a whole movement put forward to allow the riots in the city, and of course they were justified during lockdowns because if you're rioting, if you're out for violating social distance for social equity, social equity, then apparently there's no virus threat. But more importantly, the, the defund the police movement was done as an effort to essentially help African Americans. How did all that turn out for African Americans? It turned out horribly. I mean, it turned out absolutely horribly. You're telling me that in order to keep communities safe, you need to remove law enforcement? I mean, that's the type of contradictory, hypocritical stuff that you unfortunately see all the time from, you know, the far left. And, you know, you talk about it happening in, in June of 2020. You know, we in America, we call that the summer of love, sarcastically, um, because, you know, there was so much property damage, so much uh, uh, fire damage, so much riot, riots, uh, people were, were were beaten, people were killed. How does that protect the community? If you're an African-American small business owner, you were worried that your shop was going to get broken into because of what happened, you know, to George Floyd, you know, with the police. Um, and it has nothing to do with why your, your your business is burning down, but this is what happens when you allow lawlessness uh, to pervade a, a system and economy. And it's very similar to what we're seeing with the migrant crisis here in America. Once again, Joe Biden, instead of cracking down on crime or shutting down the southern border, he's allowing you know people to be irresponsible. He's allowing people to commit crime and horrible atrocities, and he's not providing any consequences. And just like how it happened in 2020, and it's happening now, it's going to allow crime uh, crime to pervade itself, and no one is going to be better off. We're all going to lose. And what about the sort of the corporate virtue signaling, NFL, NBA, you know, Black Lives Matter, end racism in the end zone? Does that help end racism, that kind no. of corporate messaging? No, no, not at all. Not only does it not end, uh, help uh, end racism, it actually pervades it, right? The one thing about, you know, racism, if you want it to really end, you got to stop talking about it um, <laughs> and just, you know, treat people by the content of their character. But what these corporations were doing is they're trying to placate to that, you know, woke mentality because they see the riots and they want to avoid that. But on the other side of the coin, most Americans don't respond to that. I mean, look at Disney. Uh, Disney has yet to really see, let's say, you know, a, a, a success, a smash hit with its movies. They're seeing declining attendance in their uh, in their theme parks. Why? Because everything that Disney seems to be putting out seems to be having this woke, racist, or LGBT message on it, and people are naturally turning away because it feels like it's being forced down their throats. So the beauty about capitalism, at least, is that you can still speak with your wallet. And hopefully more and more businesses realize that if they go down this woke agenda, they're going to go broke. Um, and that is in no one's best interest. Well, in terms of the green agenda and its impact, you have Joe Biden now pushing the Inflation Reduction Act. And you know, at, rather than just saying, OK, let energies compete, solar and wind and uh, EVs can compete against gas powered cars, solar wind can compete against fossil fuels. 
they're banning energy that works, regulating it, trying to regulate it out of existence. They've, they're doing it very successfully with coal. They're raising the cost of energy for everyone. But in their minds, that's good because we're using too much energy anyway. What impact does that have disproportionately on uh, blue collar workers, on the poorest uh, Americans? Uh, one of the, one of the examples I can easily think of is the fact that these car manufacturers that are being pushed to create more EVs, electric vehicles, they're doing it outside of America, right? So you have a job loss, whereas uh, a production facility could have been in America producing cars. Now, thanks to Joe Biden pushing EVs, they're deciding to go to Mexico to produce those cars. So that's job loss. And then second thing is, you know, those workers who still work for those manufacturers or still work for those car companies, they're going to see less income because no one's buying electric vehicles. You know, you, you watch TV, you see all these commercials for EV this, hybrid that, you know, uh, 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 no gas, you know, no gas car doing this and, and, and X, Y, and Z. But while they're all there, no one is really buying it because, you know, the economics says that as you produce more and more electric vehicles, gas powered cars now become cheaper. And so, you know, Americans who are trying to save money still don't feel like it's worth paying forty to fifty thousand dollars on an electric vehicle, but they'll still spend twenty dollars or twenty thousand dollars on a gas-powered vehicle. So, you know, it just goes to show once again not only the contradictory and hypocritical use of these policies, but they just don't follow general economics because people just want their life to be cheaper, and they're going to follow whichever path gets them there the quickest. All right. Well, yeah, we're in an election year. We already know Joe Biden has told, and I can't remember what show he told, it was a black host who said, if you're supporting Donald Trump, you ain't black. Is that true? As, as are African-Americans less black if they support Donald Trump? I, I try, I couldn't say it with a straight face. I tried, but okay. No, 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 Project 21, you know, we don't we don't try to get into- Don't endorse uh, candidates. We don't endorse candidates, no. We, we do speak to policies and, you know, of course, yeah. uh, I, I do try to promote policies that I believe are more free market-based than, let's say, government control. And ever since I've been doing that, I've been doing that for now at least 10 years, I really haven't changed uh, my skin tone. So I don't know what Joe <laughs> Biden is thinking about what he can, uh, about that statement but it's clearly, clearly not true. Um, and I think most Americans, look, they may they they may like certain personalities over another, but ultimately they prefer, you know, whoever makes it easier for them to live their own lives. And history has shown that more free market or more uh, traditional conservative policies can get that done. Making government more limited, smaller, out of your hair uh, just naturally does that as well. And clearly what they're seeing under Joe Biden is that when you do the opposite, when you get government so massive and so big, it's into almost every facet of your life, it makes life harder. All right. Well, we only have about, a, I guess, a minute left, but are you at all concerned as an economist from the yin-yang aspect? You go from Obama, then Trump swings the government, cuts regulations, then back to Biden, and then we might go back to Trump. How does the economy handle those kind of regulatory uh, sweeps from back and forth, uh, from you know, massive government intrusion to radical cutbacks? You know, I, I remember back to our, the, the founding of the U.S. Constitution, the framing of it, right? They understood that there would be different political parties winning the presidency over, you know, over the time, over history and over time. But what their goal was is to really give the seat of power to Congress, to the legislature, or, or to, to, me, to the Congress or to state legislators. And we've gotten so far from that. We put so much power into the presidency. It really does lead to such wild volatilities depending on who gets in. So I guess my thought process to that is, 
Right. It doesn't matter whether there's a Republican in charge or a Democrat in charge, you have to give more power back to Congress. All right, thank you, Michael Austin. We're out of time uh, from Project 21. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us.